right, said Susan. I'm not stupid. You're saying humans need... fantasies to make life bearable. Really? As if it was some kind of pink pill? No. Humans need fantasy to be human. To be the place where the falling angel meets the rising ape. Tooth fairies, hogfathers, little... Yes. As practice, you have to start out learning to believe the little lies. So we can believe the big ones? Yes. Justice, mercy, duty, that sort of thing. They're not the same at all. You think so? Then take the universe and grind it down to the finest powder and sieve it through the finest sieve and then show me one atom of justice, one molecule of mercy, and yet... Death waved a hand. And yet you act as if there is some ideal order in the world, as if there is some... some rightness in the universe by which it may be judged. Yes, but people have got to believe that, or what's the point? My point exactly. Welcome to the Hyperfixation, where my friends come onto my show and tell me about things that excite them for 30 to 45 minutes, so I can acquire an approximate knowledge of many things. My name is Roma. I use the they and them pronouns, and I'm joined today by Max. Hello, it's Max. I use he and they pronouns. Um, Roma. Yes. Uh, do you do people often tell you about the tomatoes? <laughs> you know. Uh... <laughs> Most of the time, people are like, oh, Roma, like the city in Italy, or like a like romance, or like aroma therapy. And I'm like, no, I'm like the tomato. The tomato. <laughs> the nice the nice little tomato that's, that, that um, is shaped funny. Yeah. In most restaurants I've worked in, they'll put like 86 Roma, because they're out of Roma tomatoes, and they'll be like, I'm right here. I'm a little baby. I'm right here. That's the order given by the Assassin's Guild to take you out. The Sakage is Eight here to six kill me. Roma. Oh, no. <laughs> What's Sakage? I don't know what that is. What is that? I've, I've been reading, uh, I've been listening to the graphic audio of the Night Angels trilogy by Brent Weeks, oh, and my. it's incredible. It's incredible. Is there a guild of assassins in that? Absolutely. They run everything. Okay. It's like the underground king kingdom. That's but, great. Um, that's another episode what, for another time. <laughs> what kind of planet do they live on? Uh, it's like fantasy medieval earth type stuff mm, probably round <laughs> yeah mm. oh no i see where this is going <laughs> yeah um i mean that's i'm just like there's similarities and there's differences there's assassin's guild on one hand but on the other hand round planet 
Um, yeah, spherical. Yeah. Casts a shadow. Uh, so wh- I guess I'll start by saying I became aware of a series of novels that people told me about called Discworld mm-hmm. uh, in like 2014, 2013, somewhere around there. Um, Roma, did you ever grow up? Are you a big reader? Do you consider yourself a big fiction reader? Uh, well, that's that's actually a really fun thing. Uh, my brain does not allow me to read books with my eyeballs. Sure. And so with the production. Many such with cases. The, with, yeah. So with audiobooks and like graphic audio where it's like more of like an audio drama. <laughs> Um, I've actually recently in the past six months since I've started this podcast been able to start like quote unquote reading again. That's great. And, That's amazing. Uh, it's been incredible. <laughs> I am a big reader. I, I read a lot and I tend to read really fast. Mm-hmm. And so some of the things that I want to start out by saying that some of the things I'm going to say on today's episode, you kind of have to couch in the fact that I am like a, a habitual big reader. Like I just like to read a lot and I love I can, that so much. I can for you. chunk a book out really, really quick, usually. Mm-hmm. And this is why, like, I like books. I, I like Homestuck. I read all of Homestuck. And I'm the guy who goes around telling people Homestuck's that, not that big a deal. And maybe, you know, maybe just maybe that it has more to do with the fact that I read a lot and I, and I read fast. But I'm, the reason I'm couching, the reason I'm like, I'm being so couchy about this is because the thing I want to tell you about today is a series of novels that contains 41 books. What? <laughs> yeah. That's so what? So I don't know okay. when you want to I don't know when you want to get that timer started. <laughs> well, <laughs> before we get that timer started, yeah. I just want to establish when this episode releases, it's the first episode of 2023, so this is a banger way to start off yeah. the year. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, if you read one book a week, you can be done before uh November. Basically. Sick. <laughs> I get the timer. The timer is. The timer is here. Are you ready? I'm ready. <laughs> it's going. Okay. So, what do you know about Discworld, Roma? I know absolutely nothing. Okay. That's great. I am a blank slate. Um, just like from the name, why do you think it's called that? <laughs> um, I imagine everything's on a DVD. It's like a JoJo part with the JoJo's in Florida prison where the guy pulls the discs okay. out of your head. Okay. But that's just because that's that's the uh, intrusive thought version okay. of gut instinct. <laughs> so, um, did have, did you ever get into the series known as the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? Are you aware of this? I I am. There's I a watched film. The movies. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's fine. I, that's I watch- so. But you know that was a book, right? Like you're aware. Yes. Okay. So that book was written by a guy called Douglas Adams. He's a British satirist who did. A bunch of novels in that universe, and they were kind of revolutionary in the in that like they were the first like funny parody sci-fi novels to get pretty big in the UK and the US. Um, and mm-hmm. though they are very different from Discworld, it often helps to say that Terry Pratchett, the author of Discworld, is to the like fantasy young adult and like adult fantasy fiction space. Terry Pratchett occupies mm-hmm. a very similar niche to Douglas Adams. Okay. So to start off, these are a series of books that are satirical, uh, parodical, really, really focused on being funny first and foremost. Mm -hmm. Um, But they also constitute 
a setting that has a coherent structure, um, many threads of history, and like a a world that comports together and makes a kind of sense, even if it is completely outrageous. Mm-hmm. And um, I sent you a passage to play from one of the audiobooks, but I do want to start off by reading a quick passage to you so you can get a feel for what Discworld feels like and sounds like. Does that sound all right to you? I'm very excited. That okay. sounds very all right. I'm ready for you. <clears throat> this is from the third <laughs> Discworld novel, Equal Rights. Um, and that's spelled R-I-T-E-S, equal rights, not equal rights. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. First released in, uh, when did this thing come out? You know, publishers, you're supposed to put that information. Harper Collins, I know you. First released in 1987 by, uh, by Terry Pratchett. Okay. <clears throat> so you open up page one and this is what you see. This is a story about magic and where it goes and perhaps more importantly, where it comes from and why. Although it doesn't pretend to answer all or any of these questions. It may, however, help to explain why Gandalf never got married and why Merlin was a man. Because this is also a story about sex, although probably not the athletic, tumbling, count the legs and divide by two sense, unless the characters get totally beyond the author's control. Oh my gosh. They might. <laughs> However, it is primarily a story about a world. Here it comes now. Watch closely. The special effects are quite expensive. A bass note sounds. It is a deep, vibrating chord that hints that the brass section may break in at any moment with a fanfare for the cosmos, because the scene is the blackness of deep space with a few stars glittering like dandruff on the shoulders of God. Then it comes into view overhead, bigger than the biggest, most unpleasantly armed star cruiser in the imagination of a three-ring filmmaker. A turtle, 10,000 miles long. It is Great Atuan, one of the rare astrocolonians from a universe where things are less as they are and more like people imagine them to be. And it carries on its meteor-pocked shell four giant elephants who bear on their enormous shoulders the great round wheel of the Discworld. As the viewpoint swings around, the whole of the world can be seen by the light of its tiny orbiting sun. There are continents, archipelagos, seas, deserts, mountain ranges, and even a tiny central ice cap. The inhabitants of this place, it is obvious, won't have any truck with global theories. Their world, bounded by an encircling ocean that falls forever into this space in a long waterfall, is as round and flat as a geological pizza, although without the anchovies. <laughs> a world like that, which exists only because the gods enjoy a joke, must be a place where magic can survive. And sex, too, of course. <laughs> That's the opening <laughs> passage to Equal Rights. That's his third book. That is so silly. Isn't it silly? There's like a, there's a playfulness. There's a, there's a levity. But at the same time, mm-hmm. there is this like really developed cinematic eye. And yeah, everything is very clear, even though I said a lot of weird shit. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
the other thing to note is this is the third book and he's setting up for us on the first page what the setting is. And if you watch mm -hmm. that interview I posted in our Discord, one of the things that's that Terry Pratchett was setting out to do with Discworld was create a series where I think he said it's like Star Trek. Uh, the example he gives is when you tune on when you turn on Star Trek, you see a guy with pointy ears. And you think, what's up with this guy when what's up with his pointy ears? But they're not going to go into a lot of detail about the fact that he has pointy ears. Everyone just accepts it. It becomes normal. And then maybe in a few episodes, you'll understand someone will talk about him being an alien. Mm -hmm. That's Discworld. You don't have to read every single book. You don't have to read it in order. You don't have to even read the, the like character plot lines in order. You just pick a book and everything will be explained to you. You will understand the setting. And you'll understand the character relationships because they're all very clear on the page. Uh, so it is, it, despite being 41 entries long, it is very easy to get into. That's so good to hear. Because that was for a second, I was like, oh man, <laughs> how do I get into this? So let's break it down. Uh, there are 41 books. And what you hear from a lot of Discworld fans is that they're kind of subdivided into series of novels that follow a, a chronological order that all rotate around a certain character or set of characters uh so there are eight books about the city watch which is the uh which are, which are sort of like crime drama mysteries set in Ankh-Morpork the biggest city in Discworld which is like London and Seattle and New York all all together in one mm -hmm. there are five novels about death uh the character death who is a mm -hmm. who is literally the psychopomp the grim reaper the big skeleton with the with the scythe. Okay, okay. Uh, there are eight books about the wizards in the university at Ankh-Morpork. Pork. Six books about witches, which are my personal favorite. Yeah. Three books about some guy called Moist von Lipvig, and that's real. That's his real name, Moist von Lipvig. Okay. Uh, a series of five young adult novels about a very young witch named Tiffany Aching, and then there's three stand or six standalone novels that that don't have anything to do with any of those and there are so many there are a lot if you search disc world reading order you will find lots of different opinions and you'll find lots of flow charts and like dependency illustrations like oh do you like this kind of book you should read these first and then maybe you'll like these i'm here to tell you if you just read the books in the order they came out you'll have a great time that sounds amazing it sounds amazing. And well, it the thing about it is that Discworld started off as a a what do you call it? A periodical, like short story a series of the first novel is a series of short stories that were published in a in a fantasy magazine as a piece of satire that Terry just stitched all together to make into one book. And it tells one story. It's just it was released in little tiny chunks. So, uh, mm -hmm. formally some things start coming into there's there's some thing that affects the form of the novels going forward. Uh, one thing is they don't have chapters. The book the book is the book. It is one contiguous item. Uh, it just continues, and there are scene breaks, and we we shift perspective from one scene and one set of characters to another scene and another set of characters. But it never comes to a full stop and says that's the end of that chapter. We're going to start a new one. Mm -hmm. um, and the rhythm of the stories is such that. There are neat, con con condensed little episodes, kind of, that each book follows. So that 
while it feels like no chapters is an experience that would get kind of chaotic, I don't know. It, sometimes when you're reading a good book or watching a good movie, you get that feeling that you're in the hands of somebody who you can trust, who yeah. values your time and your experience. And mm-hmm. um, I just always get that feeling when I read Discworld, that this is a guy who knows exactly what kind of story he's telling and knows exactly what I want out of it and is very good at like giving it to me at a pace that I find exciting and rewarding. And the other thing is that, that I'll continue to mention, this shit is just funny as hell. Um, <laughs> I've read every single one of these books. I've read about half of them twice, and I've read further probably a quarter of them three or more times. I still laugh out loud. The, the shit is just funny. That makes me so happy to hear. I'm just... It, it's kind of hard to even talk about why that is, and I think it uh, like so much of it comes down to the fact that uh, Pratchett is just an exceptional observation. Um, uh, uh, he's an exceptional obs- observer of human character and human um, community, uh, mm-hmm. which is interesting because in his former life, before he was an author, he was a journalist. Oh, that tracks. Yeah. So this is a guy who had to be very good at listening, had to be saw people in a lot of different situations had a very good sense of a person's natural dignity and natural humanity and the ways in which the systems of the world can affect normal people. And also a guy who just can't stop writing because when you're a journalist, you have to just keep, you just got to keep writing. Mm -hmm. Uh, Terry Pratchett, I I didn't get to research him as much as I wanted to just because I had a lot of work to do uh, this week, but he is from the UK um, he was knighted in the nineties. I want to say 98. He received the title OBE. So he is Sir Terry Pratchett. It's not so fancy. Uh, for his contribution to literature. Um, he is a big fucking nerd. He's a huge, I keep using present tense. Unfortunately, Terry passed in, in 2015. Oh, should mention that. Rest in peace. He was a huge fucking nerd. He was a huge gamer. His favorite video game of all time was Elder Scrolls IV Oblivion. I genuinely do not know how he had time to play it because he was writing like two books a year, but he was like big in the Oblivion modding community. Like he was a real fucking nerd, like in in big capital N, capital R, capital N, real nerd, this guy. I want this man to be my uncle. I know. Terry Pratchett, everyone wants Terry to be their uncle because he also has like a wonderful sense of compassion that is very palpable throughout the books. Um, But I think one of the things that I, that will be fun to talk about um, because there's a lot of stuff going on in Discworld. One of the things that'll be fun to talk about is you're familiar with TV tropes. Yes. You know the trope our our dwarves are different or our elves are different. No, this is new to me. Well, th- th- that's the that's the idea is that this world is fantasy, but it's not your dad's fantasy novel. You know, our orcs are <laughs> different or weird. <laughs> All that shit is true in Discworld. Um, so Discworld is a fantasy novel. You've got humans, you've got elves, you've got dwarves, you've got vampires, werewolves, trolls, undead, zombies. Discworld has the, uh, has the gumption to say, well, that's all just a different kind of person, isn't it? Uh, and they would probably all live in the city. And they would probably all have issues with one another that would be interesting sociologically to explore, more interesting than, like, you know... There's a vampire, stake it through the heart. It's more like, there's a vampire, how's he going to pay rent? Oh. Um, and so th- 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 these things are different in the disc world because 
not only because they live together and they cohabitate, but also because they are used as vehicles for expressions of modern anxieties, modern social problems. Um, yeah. So, for example, the these books started in the 80s and were released through the 90s into the early 20, 2000s and 2010s. They deal, quite frankly, with gender in a way that I was not prepared for and I did not anticipate. Uh, so let's start that conversation by talking about dwarves. What do you know about dwarves, Roma? Uh, they're usually depicted as short, little, hairy dudes. Very, not often as women, now that I think about it. Um, and they usually do forging and stuff in, like, mountains. Okay. When you think about a dwarf woman, what are you, what are you picturing? <sighs> it's kind of difficult because I, it's not usually, they're not usually shown, you know? it's That's right. Yeah. It's like, uh... well. Terry Pratchett, Discworld says, if you look at a dwarf, you do not know what that dwarf's gender is. Um, I love that. It's in dwarf society is actually quite impolite to to mention what gender you are unless you are planning to have sex with somebody. Dwarf society is very much like gender is kind of a don't ask, don't tell thing. Um, we know that some of us are are one and some of us are a different one and et cetera and so on. But we're not going it's, to, it's impolite to talk about. It's not the important thing at hand, unless we're, we're boning down. And that's interesting, right? Like, that's an interesting way to conceive of this, that dwarves, that they would have no dimorphism the way humans do. Mm-hmm. But further on top of that, Terry, Terry asks, well, what does that do to society? What does that do to the mind of a dwarf woman who has to live in a society that accepts that male is default and that you are male unless assumed otherwise you are your gender you basically there may be more than one gender but societally there is only one um and so you have a character that i i mean i don't think this is a spoiler she shows up quite early on in the book she appears in named <laughs> uh cheery little bottom yeah uh who is uh the very first dwarf woman to begin identifying as a woman good for her look at her go. and the i it's it's a really interesting story like it it feels like if i told you a white british dude wrote a sci-fi wrote a fantasy satire novel about a dwarf who had gender feelings in the in the 90s you would probably go uh-oh oh. <laughs> i know i would go uh-oh but it it's it's handled very well it's very interesting it's treated as something that is like a complex issue for her to deal with. It's not like resolved in one book and then it's done. It's like, this is her lifelong challenge that she has to navigate a world that she is creating where all of her, where the traditions that she's coming from, the traditions of her home and her people that she's proud of mm-hmm. are telling her is incorrect. And she can't live. She, she has to reconcile that, that tension every time she interacts with dwarf society in a way that feels less, that doesn't feel like, God, we're retreading this stupid shit again, but actually feels like this is what a person deals with. When you are living with a, with a non, quote, non-standard gender presentation mm-hmm. and your family's not cool with that, this is something that you have to deal with. I mean, unless you, unless you take the route that many people do of just saying, well, fuck it, I'm not going to deal with that. And I'm on the record saying that's cool for you if you want to do that. Mm-hmm. But for someone like Cheery who does want to interface with her with her forebears, this becomes a daily struggle for her and a, uh, something that she has to navigate. And Terry Pratchett handles this in a way that I cannot imagine he did not have 
um, trans and genderqueer people in mind when he was writing. Absolutely. Obviously, he's dead now and we can't ask him about it. Um, I'm getting the Ouija like, board out, man. I'm going to ask. Get the Ouija board. Someone, <laughs> his daughter, Rihanna, um, is big, like, anti-turf on Twitter all the time. So, like, I think, I think we know how Terry would have felt, but, like, you can mm-hmm. see it in his books. And that compassion for people who are suffering and for people whose daily challenges are so huge is a major thread that runs through all of his novels. Um, a lot of his books are about power and about what power does and how power works. This is a guy who has a very materialist understanding of the world. I don't know if you've ever heard the passage about the boots theory. No, no, I have not. Okay. I'm going to, I'm just going to read one more passage for you. Real quick. No, you could read as many as you want. <laughs> I love listening to you talk, honestly. Thank you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh so you know you know how i feel about the police yes <laughs> not a fan don't love them no <laughs> um I, I think a lot of people understand why i feel that way mm-hmm. but isn't it cool when you're reading a book or watching a tv show or watching a movie and there's a there is a cop who's like a cool good man who wants to do justice in the world Sometimes that's still cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, because I think we all, all of those of us who, who hate the cops, hate the cops because we know that they are not good, kind men who want to do justice in the world. Mm-hmm. And we deeply want there to be people who want to do justice in the world. And so that's my way of reconciling the fact that there are eight books in this series about the cops that are, that deal quite frankly with how complicated the police relationship with the public is, but also in the end are about guys who want to do justice and who care about mm-hmm. each other and have deep compassion Aww. for everyday people. That's good. Um, and this is a section from one of those books. It's about the character we're talking about is Sam Vimes. Discworld heads are popping off because they know this guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, he's the captain of the city watch. He's a son of a bitch. He, uh, a reformed drunk. And, uh, recently, well, that's a spoiler. I won't say it, but here's, 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 here's his, Here's this is Terry Pratchett's understanding of of economics and power and how capital affects people's lives. Okay. Okay. The reason that the rich were so rich, Vimes reasoned, was because they managed to spend less money. Take Boots, for example. He earned $38 a month plus allowances. A really good pair of leather boots cost $50, but an affordable pair of boots which were sort of okay for a season or two and then leaked like hell when the cardboard gave out, cost about $10. Those were the kind of boots Vimes always bought and wore until the soles were so thin that he could tell where he was in Ankmore Pork on a foggy night by the feel of the cobbles. But the thing was that good boots lasted for years and years. A man who could afford $50 had a pair of boots that'd still be keeping his feet dry in ten years' time, while a poor man who could only afford cheap boots would have spent a hundred dollars on boots in the same time and would still have wet feet. This was the Captain Samuel Vine's boots theory of socioeconomic unfairness. It tracks. As a person with the bachelors in economics that I have in my fist, I'm saying it tracks. <laughs> Literally, Tay Zonde, Chocolate Rain was out here on Twitter like a couple of years ago being like, poverty charges interest, y'all. Like, if you don't get your tooth hurts, you better get that fixed now or it's going to be a root canal in two years. Your, 
your mattress is old, you better get a new mattress now or it's going to be back surgery in 20 years. Mm -hmm. Like, this is the way, when you are poor, it's very hard to not to stop being poor. Many of us know this. And Terry knew this because he was a journalist who who interacted with people from every strata of society and had to take them seriously and listen to their concerns and report them. Oh. Uh, How are we doing on time? Uh, uh, we're at 23 minutes. Okay. You okay. Got time. Um, I gotta, I, I gotta move on and talk more about like the form of this thing. I've talked to you about the content, about what it's like, what Terry was like, how he put himself into his novels. Mm-hmm. I want to talk to you about multimedia. Yes. Discworld is a series that reads exceptionally well. It's not just me. It's not just, I don't have a magic voice. Discworld is just very, very good to read out loud. Mm-hmm. And there is a huge audiobook catalog. Every one of these books has been recorded and narrated. And in fact, there is a project ongoing right now to like republish new audiobook narrations featuring some fairly famous people, such as um, uh, one of them is narrated by, oh Christ, I'm forgetting his name, Andy Serkis. I don't know who that is. Uh, what has he done? Gollum. Gollum. That's crazy. Um, uh, lead monk. He's he does all the. He's that British fellow who's got the very deep voice. <laughs> I, <laughs> Sorry, no. that's that's my Andy Circus. It's good. Um, it, what Black Panther? He was the guy with the robot arm. Black Panther. I robot arm. Black Panther. It's um the mm-hmm. Batman. He was Alfred. He was for real. Robert Pattinson, Batman's Alfred. Holy shit. He does a lot of stuff. That's all I'm saying. Um, It also features people like Bill Nye, not the science guy, but the uh, English actor. There's two Bill Nyes? There's two Bill Nyes. The the, the Englishman spells his name N-I-G-H-Y, but it's Uh, pronounced Nye. Okay. Um, And his job as a narrator is to narrate the footnotes, which I haven't mentioned yet. Uh, So (laughs) how often do you read a uh, a novel that has footnotes, Roma? Not often, to be honest. If you read this world, you're going to read 41 novels that have footnotes. The footnotes are joyous to me, a Discworld fan. They they were such a joy to discover as a thing that I didn't know to expect. But it is a way that the author kind of like I'm like I'm I'm motioning you to come in. I'm saying free real estate. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. it's it's the author putting his arm around you and saying, "This is what I mean by this." You know, there it it creates a very intimate reading experience because. Um, oftentimes this is how history is explained. Someone will casually remark on something and then there'll be an asterisk and you'll go down to the bottom of the page and Terry will tell you, well, they're saying this because, you know, X years ago, this happened and this happened and this happened. Um, and quite often they are just as funny as the main text. And, uh, even more often they are just a joke. They are just like an opportunity to make a pun, uh, that he couldn't figure out how to put into the main text of the book. That's so beautiful to hear. And I, and they have a whole guy just to read those for us. <laughs> yes, and his name is Bill Nye. He's really great. Um, also, are you familiar with the actor Peter Serafinowicz? No. Um, have you seen Shaun of the Dead? Yes. He's the roommate who gets turned into a zombie, the, the very tall man who's, like, really angry with Shaun. Oh, it's been so long. But uh, is it, uh, does he wear he, a striped shirt in it? I don't know. He's like a business guy in it. He has like a suit and a tie and everything. Yeah. Glasses? No. No? Okay. <laughs> I don't know who don't he is. Don't worry about it. The audience is like, oh yeah, that guy. 
Um, he is he plays Death in the in the audiobooks, which is funny because Death is uh, all his dialogue is printed in all caps with no quotation marks, and things are said of his voice like it sounds like the slamming of coffin lids echoing to eternity and such things like that so they got a guy with a big deep voice who's famous for having a big deep voice to come read that dialogue in particular beautiful um there is also a a theme song which i will probably post in the discord which you may or may not want to include i don't know how fresh that copyright is there's a theme song that was written for the new audiobooks composed by james hannigan who is a name I didn't recognize, but I recognized all the shit he's worked on. And so the reason they got James is because, as I mentioned before, Terry Pratchett was like number one Oblivion fan, mm-hmm. big time. Mm-hmm. And they knew that if they were going to give his audiobook a theme song, it would be, it would have to be the kind of music he liked. And it would have to be the kind of music he liked for a fantasy setting. Mm-hmm. So they got the guy who wrote the music for Oblivion Ayo. to write a theme song for this fucking for these audiobooks. And let me read you some of the other things this guy's worked on. Okay. Okay, okay, okay. So it's just a few little things like Super Smash Brothers Ultimate. Yeah, I'll just and, see that little thing. And Saints Row 4. Oh my god. And the Good Omens TV show, which is based on a Terry Pratchett novel. I love Good Omens. You like Good Omens? Okay, Aww. well, we're we're in business. And uh one more, just a little thing you might have heard of called uh RuneScape. Yeah. <laughs> RuneScape. Runes fucking RuneScape? Guy who wrote the music for RuneScape? Bruh. Yeah. So hey, yeah, if you are if you liked Good Omens, you've already consumed some Pratchett media because he co-wrote that with Neil Gaiman. No way. That was uh one of the first audiobooks that I got into in the past few years, and I fell head over heels in love with it instantly. <laughs> it's be- I mean, Pratchett's writing style is fantastic, and he works with Neil Gaiman beautifully. And here's the thing that I'm gonna say that a lot of people are going to think is really spicy. They're not going to like that I said this, but I'm going to say it anyway. Say it. Speak your truth. If you like Neil Gaiman, you're going to like Terry Pratchett because Neil Gaiman really wishes he was Terry Pratchett. <laughs> <laughs> Neil Gaiman is trying so hard to be Terry Pratchett uh, in, in many of the things that he writes. I mean, we're all just trying to be Terry Pratchett. They were great friends. They collaborated often. I'm sure he admired Sir Terry. Neil, if you're listening to this, don't at me, man. You, you're too rich for that. <laughs> Enjoy your success. <laughs> uh, but yeah, there was all kinds. There was uh, th- these audiobooks are huge. They have a tremendous reputation. The ones that already exist and the ones that are coming out now are really super high quality. But that's not the only way to consume Discworld without reading. Oh, no. There are there are two TV miniseries produced by the BBC. They did. They really they did. did. They pro- they produced two of the novels as miniseries that runtime altogether is like five hours each. The one that I have seen is the book for the book Going Postal, which is about the guy I talked to earlier about Moist von Lipvig. Mm-hmm. Um, he's tasked with um, basically restarting the post office at the biggest city in the world, and uh, he's up against the Clacks, which are a system of semaphore towers stationed throughout the disc world that kind of affect a sort of internet. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, it's about, it's about old media versus new media, and it's really, really interesting. And also, uh, yet another book with a deeply materialist point of view 
that fully understands exactly how capital works and why uh, big businesses are so ruthlessly efficient at crushing everybody else. Uh, there were also video games for Discworld. There's a fairly famous uh, point-and-click adventure game simply called Discworld. Oh, called The Color of Magic, narrated by Eric Idle of Monty Python. Oh my um, god. There's also many MUDs. Do you know of a MUD? 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 MUD stands for Multi-User Dungeon. It is uh, basically what we had before MMOs. It's like a chat client that has like a, a very simple game logic built into it. I have never heard of this before. Oh my god. It's, it's before your time, Roma. It is. I'm a very bad baby. <laughs> um, there are additionally board games, Discworld board games. There's more than one. So an actual uh, as well play? Question mark? <laughs> Yeah, no, like literally, there there are board and like light role role playing type games. There are just fucking role playing games. There's a GURPS mod for Discworld. Uh, I'm sure somebody could do a Dungeon World or a Powered by the Apocalypse. It would be very easy. Mm-hmm. And there is a vinyl album of funky little tunes inspired by Discworld. I couldn't find it anywhere, uh, but I was able to listen to some previews. Uh, it's great. It's by a guy called David Greenslade. The, the little gears um, are turning in my head right now. And you, you, my no. brain is still caught up on, so Discworld Actual Play? <laughs> Discworld Actual Play, and I'm sure Terry would love that. He, uh, y- you'll, you'll hear about this in the interview video that I posted, but he was very into his work being reproduced. Um, he worked for publishing companies that would not allow him to say, I'm not going to charge you royalties, but that's what he wanted in his heart, was for everyone to just do what they wanted with his properties. Mm-hmm. So what he did do instead of taking royalties is he worked uh, in partnership with the Orangutan Foundation, which is a conservat- uh, um, a conservation nonprofit that specifically works to build up habitats for wild orangutans. Uh, so if you, while Terry was alive anyway, if you performed an adaptation of his work, all the royalties would go straight to the Orangutan Foundation, not to the Pratchett Estate. 100% went to the Orangutan Foundation. I don't know if that split has changed in the years since his death. That kind of thing ha- unfortunately happens a lot. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> when an author who, who has particular ways of distributing money dies, the publisher often steps in and says, we would like to have that, actually. <laughs> Please. Please. <laughs> um, but you may wonder, hey, Roma, you may be thinking Orangutans. I, What's up with that? Yeah, I was a little curious about it. I just thought maybe he was just super into him, and I just accepted it wholeheartedly. <laughs> well, I think he is. I think that is the truth. In in his heart, I think he just loved orangutans. But here's the thing. There is a character in the Discworld novi- novels who just is a fucking orangutan. Is he just... And he's not like a talking orangutan, okay? He is just an orangutan. He's just there. Yes, he's just a big ape, a big orange ape. See, the only one? And he's... He says, Ook, he's the only one, uh, and he is the library at Unseen University, the wizard school in Ankmore Pork. <laughs> I love him. I'll die for him. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, everyone loves the librarian. He's really great. If you call him a monkey, he will beat your ass. As you should. And um, he loves peanuts and bananas. And he loves books. And he got turned into an orangutan by wild magic at one point in his life and has apparently resisted all of the university's efforts to turn him back. <laughs> so they just assume he likes it better that way. 
and they let him live as an orangutan. That's such a beautiful, just, <laughs> this is my life now, leave me alone. Leave me alone, happy stop here. <laughs> Do not turn me back, this is great. Um, yeah, so, like, if you have feelings about academia, the wizard's novels explore all of the weird power dynamics in academia. There's one, if you, man, if you like history, Discworld is, Discworld is up your alley, because one thing Terry Pratchett loves to do, and he does so often in these books, is, like, write a book about how something was invented, but it's happening on the Discworld. Like electricity? Or? Like, like soccer. There's a book about. (laughs) There's a book called Unseen Academicals. It's about the invention of soccer as we know it today. It's about the people of Ankh-Morpork developing soccer as we know it. And it's so fascinating because it was a deeply political event. It was? There, there were, there, it was a deeply political event. And, the, and, and reflected through the lens of the Discworld makes it all feel so clear. Something that Terry talks about a lot in interviews is that if you take it seriously, It feels real no matter how unreal it is. And so, yes, we have a city that is like full of full of wizards and there's vampires who work at the fucking um, uh, at the, the heraldry service. There's zombies who work for the delivery people, you know, like it's all very it's all very, very high fantasy, but they take it seriously. These, they are people with real concerns who live lives that are ordinary lives that you and I would recognize. And they all have to find a way to live together and reconcile that stuff together. And like, I'm not saying this guy had perfect politics oh. uh, because like he, he wrote eight books about the cops and like was pretty cool with them being heroes the whole time. And also, like, literally, the ruler of Ankh-Morpork is an absolute dictator whose word is the final law. It's just like, what if there was a good one of those, you know? <laughs> That's the fantasy, is that this guy is the absolute dictator, but he also has, like, strong morals or whatever. Okay. So <laughs> if, if I was going to have a dictator, I guess it'd be that one? You would want Havelock Vetinari. Yes, you would. And that brings me to... The fact that all these characters have great names, which is purely aesthetic, but hey, it's pretty fucking excellent when you read a book and it's got names, it's got characters with names like Havelock Vetinari, Carrot Iron Founderson, Angua Von Ubervault, Moist Von Lipvig. Uh, the trolls are made of stone. I don't know if I talked about this earlier. All no. trolls are are people that live in the world and they're just made of rocks. And so I always like literally picture them as just boulders that kind of move around. Even though they're drawn as like big troll looking people, I always just picture them as like boulders that walk. Yeah, like uh And they have names like Detritus and Chrysoprace and Brick and yeah. uh their king is named Diamond and it's all very silly, but they're real people with a real history and they have politics that are informed by that. I like how he's forcing my perspective of like I can't just look at these people at face value. I really can't. Like most a lot of books will You even, absolutely can't. Yeah, you can't. Like even if their name means something and you can kind of like, oh, this person's this type of character based on how they're named, like this is your Sasuke, this is your Naruto, this is your Sakura, you know. <laughs> but really there's a lot more going on in there. <laughs> there's so much going on and like it even goes like I think for most readers, I would recommend starting with the the witches if you don't want to start reading chronologically, because I think that is where Terry had the most interesting stuff to say about people and 
what it is to be in community. Because the witch in a Terry Pratchett novel is somebody who... The, a, a witch's job is akin to that of a nurse in the, in the disc world. They, they have the knowledge of how to care for a person. It is not something you can just teach. It is not something that is reliant on casting spells and doing study in your magical library. It's like working, working in the world with people, working with your hands working with your hands, understanding the way people think and how to care for them in a way that they will allow you to care for them because most people are kind of weird and won't allow you to care for them. Mm -hmm. Like he, he had deep, very deep understanding of how people act and relate to one another. Mm -hmm. um, and that comes through really strongly with the witches who are some of my favorite characters uh, in the whole damn thing. Mm. Um, the main three are, because there's always three, Always. Uh, when it comes to witches. The main three are Granny Weatherwax, <laughs> uh, Nanny Og, and Magret Garlic. Magret is the maiden, Nanny is the mother, and Granny Weatherwax is the other one. I was about to say, these are all old lady names. There's no Man, way. Granny Weatherwax is the coolest old lady in literature, basically. <laughs> she's just so awesome. Like, she's a great role model. She always knows she's a kind of person who like is very stubborn but always knows what is right and knows that she always knows that what is right and everybody else knows that she always knows what's right even though they may not want to admit it she's a great that. character i love that oh my gosh and and nanny og is an old lady who has five billion children um and she rules over them like a like a weird queen uh, like it's just very the the interpersonal politics of the Og family is something you become very deeply acquainted with. Well, I, um, I need to as you read the book. Wait, did she really pop out like a ton of children, or are they just kind of like? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Almost oh. everybody in uh, almost everybody in the land in the Ram Tops is related to Nanny Og. Oh my gosh, that is powerful. She was pretty famous when she was young. This sounds like it. Whew. That's, I mean, I don't know how much longer I can go on about this world. Do, do, you got a are, few more Is minutes. anything coming up or any questions coming up for you about, about this reading experience? You've absolutely swept me off my feet, and I was just enjoying the ride. Like, you and I are in the voice chat called The Canoe, but it's it's a real canoe because instead of, I handed you some uh, some paddles, and you said, nah, and then you used, like, a magic force push and just, like, launched us into the ether, and it's been wonderful. Um, well, the thing is, the... <laughs> It's not magic. It's just headology. What? <laughs> uh, Our Kansas Granny Weatherwax could Granny Weatherwax could explain it a hell of a lot better than I can. But once you understand headology, you understand a lot about the world. Okay. It's the no one of the ways, you know. I'll accept it at face value. That's fine. <laughs> accept it at face value. Granny, that Discworld kind of teaches you, like, accept things at face value right now, it'll make sense later. It's that kind of book where, like, it moves fast, but everything will be explained. Yeah. Don't... Pretty much all of them feel like that. And the thing is, there are some books in this series that I would say I don't want to read again, and I maybe didn't enjoy while I was reading them, um, because there's 41 of them. They're not all going to be... They're not all know, bangers. They're not all going to be book of the year. Um, and in particular, there's this character called Rincewind, who I fucking loved initially, 
And now I cannot fucking stand that little worm. I I hate him. He's the kind of guy who's like, oh, why is this all happening to me? Which is fun for a protagonist in maybe one book to me. Yeah. But when you were a protagonist of a novel and and you don't want to be, you don't want to have things be happening to you, it, it eventually is like, well, man, they're, they're fucking happening. So deal with it. Deal with it. So with Discworld, when did it, when yeah. were you first introduced to the series? Like, how did it enter your life? <laughs> uh, I heard about Terry Pratchett's death in 2015. And then I said to myself, people keep fucking recommending this shit to me. I, I should, I should just read it. And it's time. I went to the library and I got the first novel, The Color of Magic, and I read it. And then you were downhill from there. And I was down. I was like, oh, well, obviously I'm going to read the next one. Because mm-hmm. uh, the next <laughs> one is a sequel to The Color of Magic. It's, it's like a, the first three are like a loose trilogy. And then after that is equal rights. And that's where it starts to just sort of be like, well, whatever story I feel like telling is the story he tells. I love that. For but him. as I said... I, I really believe reading in chronological order is the best way because it allows you to see how he develops as a writer and it allows you to see how he changes his perspective because it's all started out as it's all just a joke. It's all just a laugh, but then it becomes really serious <laughs> and somewhere along the line, it starts being a real book about real people and, and the, the stresses and the tensions and the pressures of living in community with other people. Mm-hmm. And what it means to be human and what it means to be alive and all of these wonderful things that we, that we go to novels for. Yeah. Um, and he finds all of that very organically. And if you start from chronological, you, you kind of find it too along with him. And the silliness and the over-the-top nature of it all makes it so easy to accept all of that. Yeah. It, it really is a kind of magic, I think. That, I think... I can relate to that with, uh, I don't know if you've been reading or watching Chainsaw Man as it's been releasing. (laughs) I'm still, I don't know shit about Chainsaw Man still. Uh, Well, if you, that's one quality that I do appreciate. I know power doesn't flush her poops. I know that. (laughs) She does not. Um, Chainsaw Man. uh, Which is nasty. That's one thing that the author, the mangaka, was very keen on is that he wanted everything to be super melodramatic. Everything is always very big emotions, whether it's like a death, whether it's a comedy scene, whether it doesn't matter what it is or like an intimate moment. He ramps it up super, super high so he can adequately tell his story and like really explore all those human emotions. Mm. So that's one of Mm. I, I, I can feel that when you talk about Sir Terry Pratchett. I mean, it's not one for one, but it's just like, ah, there I see is it. a kind of truth that emerges. Yes. Right. When you are willing to go above, go outside of what we consider normal. And I think that's why fantasy as a genre is useful. Um, you know, fantasy and sci-fi. I'm a fiction guy. I love, mm-hmm. I love reading fiction generally. Um, I'm not a non, excuse me. I'm not a big nonfiction reader. I like fantasy and sci-fi fiction, but I really do think that, by widening the scope of what is physically real, it allows you to deal with the internal world of a person, of a human being in a different way mm-hmm. than if you, if you work within the same scope as reality as we, as we live in every day. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So in this- They're great books, Roma. They're just great books. 
I, it's, it sounds like it and it's going to be it added into my I actually did while we were, while you were talking I was like is this on graphic audio it's not I'm very dis, I'm distraught about that but Blop. it's okay um it maybe eventually it'll become an audio drama with fun sound effects in the background but uh, there are plays there are literally plays made out of like I want to say eight eight or ten of the novels have been converted into plays so, like, it would be very easy to make an audio drama, and the Pratchett estate is very friendly to that kind of thing. So, well, I guess we got to talk to Moonshot, but um... yeah, I guess we got to talk to Moonshot, <laughs> Riley. Uh, hey, who at this network can do a British accent? Not me. Not I, Cassie makes fun of me when I try. You should. Can you? Can you? Can you, can you try hold for on. me? Hold on, hold on. Let me, let me crack open. I got the book right here. This is a story about magic and where it goes and perhaps more importantly where it comes from and why oh my God. although it doesn't pretend to answer all or any <laughs> of these questions you you got the role you've been you've been you got it it's yours now <laughs> <laughs> discworld novels are like the only ones i could ever see myself like if, you, if you're a person who might hire me to do voice work, stop listening to this podcast right now. <laughs> Discworld novels are like the only things I could really see myself doing as like audiobook narration at some point in the future, because that mm -hmm. is a very difficult job, but mm -hmm. these books are such a joy. Such a joy. Speaking of, of this joy, where are you at right now? So you said you were rereading them. You've read like, reread like half of them. Um, last night, I restarted one of the City Watch novels called Feet of Clay, which deals with the politics that surround golems. Mm -hmm. um, it's a very interesting novel in Discworld. It has a lot to say about self-determination, what it means to have a dream, what it means to have a, to, to discover that you are of a people, mm -hmm. um, and what it means to liberate yourself from oppression and how, how, how that journey goes, the different challenges you may face along that way from people who want to oppress you and also the challenges you face from people who want to help you free yourself, who, who maybe don't have the same perspective that you do. It's, it's a very fascinating novel. It's a really, really good one. Feet of Clay. Um, that sounds it good. could be your first novel, your first Discworld novel, if you want it to be. If I want it to, it's my, it's a, it's my own choose my own adventure. I, my recommendation, if you're squeamish about starting at number one, is a book called Men at Arms. It's not the one people often recommend. People usually recommend Guards, Guards, which is the first City Watch novel. Men at Arms is the second City Watch novel. But man, it's got some good shit in it. It's about the first Ooh. gun in the disc world. And oh. what it means to introduce the power to kill with a thought. Oh? And it deals with the Fool's Guild, which is one of my favorite parts of the Ankhmore Pork City. Uh, the Fool's Guild is the clown city, the like clown mini community. Somebody call uh, Ken. And somebody call Ken. All the clowns in this fucking series are great. They're really, really wonderful. Uh, there's a scene. <laughs> there's a scene in one of the books where the Fool's Guild catches on fire. This is not a spoiler. It's not like a central event of the novel. Mm -hmm. Um, where there's a passage about how like the fools tried to tried to put the fire out, but ended up just doing a bunch of like pratfalls and like <laughs> like it just it turned into a comedy routine without them trying to. Um, and how they all had to be led away by what Pratchett calls kind people, so that a real bucket brigade could be formed. <laughs> 
It's really great. Oh my god. Oh man, the murder mystery. Oh, the murder mystery <laughs> in Men at Arms is so good. <laughs> <laughs> and the Fool's Guild is like central to it. So yeah, you should read Men at Arms if you like a murder mystery drama. It's a good example of that. All right, you're giving me far too many ideas, and now I'm sitting here. I'm like, okay, so Ken is every single fool in uh, the Discworld, and the, now- fools, <laughs> the clowns have names like Beano and Doctor Whiteface. I love that. B- Beano is my favorite. Obviously, I love obviously. Bino. Um, oh man. Okay, who's your favorite character besides like, or is there is there like one character that stands above all that that's that you would like sit on your little shelf and look at every day and go, that's that's the one. Um, it's hard to pick. Uh, Granny Weatherwax means a lot to me, and so does so does Brother, who is a monk, who is the protagonist of exactly one novel called Small Gods which is a standalone novel set several hundred years before most of the other novels. Mm-hmm. Um, that goes quite a long way to explaining one of the dominant religions on the disc. Um, Brother's a very memorable character. There's also a series of guys who are all named Igor. Are they all pronounced the same way or are they all pronounced differently? Yeah, no, they're all pronounced the same way and they all speak with an exaggerated lisp, which is illustrated in the pages of the novel. That's beautiful. Um, and they are uniformly like a bunch of hunchbacked little tiny guys who are fucking excellent at surgery. They're like amazing at it. Oh, my brain just decided that I was thinking <laughs> of, uh, what's, what's his name? From um, Doctor Strange. It's I see just Benedict Cumberbatch, but like scrunched into an Igor shape. I <laughs> uh, I don't know why you're getting that, but hey. Oh, have you seen Doctor Strange? It, you know? Uh, yeah. Okay. American Doctor. Yeah. Stephen Strange. Okay. Yeah, that's that's the only reason. That's the only famous surgeon I could think of in my brain at this very moment. Okay. Okay. But uh, oof. You've convinced me. I'm. I'm. You, I've been swept away. I'm on. Oh, I'm, can I give you one more? Yes! Can I give you one more favorite character? Yes, yes, yes. His name is Carrot Iron Founderson. He's a human being who is raised by dwarves, so socially he's a dwarf. Um, but he's also six feet tall, and uh, has red hair, <laughs> so he's very obviously not a dwarf. And he may also be the last in the line of the kings of Ankh-Morpork. But but, but that's all hearsay. That's all. You know, he's just a guy. He's just a captain care to the city watch. That's all he is. He's just Don't a little guy. A very big little guy. Oh, yeah. Um, but Captain Carrot is like Superman. Basically, if you put Superman in these books, he would be Captain Carrot. I love that. Yep. Uh, oh, my goodness. So where do you, if I, me as an audiobook listener, do you recommend like a particular uh source or i mean get those new ones if you can like the the new ones are really really good um the narration is fantastic the audio quality is a little better but the old ones are still really really good okay um they're read by nigel planer for the most part and then another actor called stephen briggs took over later on Mm -hmm. Uh, and then the new ones have different narrators for every like character thread um, okay. I couldn't tell you most of those, but they're not, they're also not done with those. So like, if you want a complete experience, it's the old audiobooks. but they've done the wizards, witches, and death novels for the new audiobooks. They're still recording all of the city watch novels. Okay. 
That tracks. Okay. I'm... I am processing... I don't know... Every episode I do of this, I get this little glow. I get this little high. I'm like, ah, yes, this new thing I'm excited about. There's my, like, serotonin fix that I've been needing. And uh, I also, my brain just goes blank. And I'm like, how do I finish out my podcast? But the ends of my podcast are always a fucking mess because I'm like, I want to read the book now. Um. I would just say that at the end of the podcast, you know, if you find joy from reading and you find joy from stories that are fantastical or slightly unreal and you like a, and you like to feel as though good things are possible in the world then you have enough books to fill up the next calendar year now i think You've been scheduled. This is what you're doing now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We all, we're going to have a hyperfixation book club where we're going to be actively checking in on your progress on the Discworld Ooh. series. It's a homework assignment now. Is there any other closing thoughts that you want to touch on before we wrap it up? Or you feel content? Just, uh, you know, every person you meet is going through stuff that you don't understand. So, you know, have some compassion generally treat people well you know sometimes that means uh telling them hard truths but uh more often it means giving them something nice to eat and letting them sit down for a little bit Aww. and that's what i learned from Discworld. i want to write that down post it on my wall that's headology for real that's not all that's not all there is to headology there's more there's a lot more to it yeah okay so some of it, it's not all, it's not all perfect. I've made a lot of hay about, about how good the man's politics were. There's some characters that are fat jokes. Mm-hmm. They're the, the, the topic of race as pertains to actual human race. Terry was not great on that. I'm not saying there's like actively racist stuff in all the books, but like, is there a little bit of Orientalism? Yes. Is there a little bit of, uh, of like, European views on Middle Eastern people, yes. But at the same time, though those stereotypes may be replicated in ways that are that that seem to us in 2020 to be very unseemly, um, it it is generally always about understanding people as being all people, mm-hmm. all the same, all having similar concerns, similar values, and that sort of thing. Okay. I can, I can, I can dig that. I can digest. And again, they're not all great. Like some of these books, I'm not, I'm definitely not going to read ever again. Just because I found them boring. (laughs) Some of them, not, not all 41. I would say there are like 37, 38 incredible books in this series. And then like two or three that are like, eh, six out of 10. Yeah. So it's readable, but eh. Still readable. Still, I finished all those books. I finished all the ones I didn't like. And even though at the end I was like, man, that kind of sucked, I still didn't hate myself for getting all the way through it. It was not a waste of time. Nope. Not even a little bit. Nope. That's good to hear. Um, So when when our listeners do complete their assignment and read all 41 of the Discworld series, uh, where can they find you 
to tell you that they did. <laughs> I'm on Twitter at Max Newland underscore M-A-X-N-E-W-L-A-N-D underscore. And then I'm on co-host at Max Newland. Or, or I'm sorry, I think it's just called co-host.com slash co-host.org slash Max Newland. I don't know. I don't, I haven't, Twitter's probably not going anywhere. It, that's my that's my guess. No. I mean, maybe. But it's I, just going to suck. It's just going to be fucking terrible. Yeah. After a little I while. I mean, we all dealt with Tumblr during the dark times, so maybe not all of I'm us. I'm on Tumblr, too. DM me. DM me if you want the, the username. I don't want to put it out there, but I'll tell it's not a secret. It's a, it's a, it's a half secret. You have to, yeah. you have to, <laughs> you have to ask, you have to ask nicely. <laughs> yeah. Let's see. And is there any like cool, fun projects you want to shout out? I know that this episode comes out on January 4th, so I don't know if anything will okay. be announced by then. Yeah. Um, if this episode is coming out, then you, the first three episodes of After School Anime Club, the podcast I host as part of the Moonshot Network have returned. We're dropping all three of the first three episodes at the beginning of January of season two. Hell yeah, hell yeah. Uh, all three of those deal with the anime series Trigun, which I am falling absolutely head over heels in love with. T- tremendous TV show. Mm-hmm. Um, and After School Anime Club is a fun show where we, it's like a book club, but for anime. It's focused on stuff that came out in the 90s and 2000s. So, you know, when I was a kid. And uh, in addition to just watching anime and, and riffing about it, I also come up with a fun game to subject my co-host to every episode um they never know what the game is going to be um and it's always a real treat for me because i get to i get to just do whatever i want to (laughs) for 20 minutes (laughs) i i will say as a listener of your show that is probably one of my favorite parts of the show because it's always we love the games the games are great uh i was inspired i have to cop to it i was inspired by another show that um, unfortunately is now defunct called channel F that ran on the fan bite podcast network that is now defunct because, uh, like so many media cor- corporations, they just said, we're actually firing everybody and we don't want to do anything. So goodbye. Damn. Um, a few months ago. Ah, Hey, you're still here and you're the king of games. I'm still here. I was never involved. I was never involved in a business way with them. No. But- um, I took inspiration. My brain, I, I, I've been in a big Yu-Gi-Oh uh, hole. And so it, hearing about you doing the games in the beginning of your episodes, I'm like, ah, you're the king of games now. You're Yami Yugi. That's it. It's who you are now. Uh, did you know the guy who did the voice of Yami Yugi in, in Japan um, is in Final Fantasy XIV, A Realm Reborn? He is? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he plays a guy called Uriange, who is uh, really cool. Mm-hmm. In my opinion, uh, is it, uh, he sounds absolutely delicious. If that's my next episode <laughs> of Hyperfixation, Final Fantasy XIV. Here we go. I'm ready. <laughs> I got my seatbelt. I'm buckled into the canoe. Let's go. I'm not subbed right now. You're not. I'm not giving that man my money until new stuff comes out. <laughs> that's my. That's my perspective. Um. Let's see. Is there anything else that I need you to plug or that you want to no. drop? You're good. You're set? Yeah. Perfect. I'm good. Okay. I'm a voice actor. Uh, you can go to maxnewland.com if you want to hire me. You're hired. You're you're in my uh, Discworld uh, audio drama project now. That's That rules. <laughs> um, let's see. I think it's my turn now. Yeah. It's my turn. Okay. 
So you could do your housekeeping. My housekeeping. You could find me on the internet at twitter.com forward slash I appreciate your butt. That is I A P P R E C I, the number eight U R B U T T. Um, and you could probably find me with that handle almost anywhere. Um, you will also find me there at Tumblr, but it's spelled correctly, like Y O U R B U T T. <laughs> and then hyperfixation has stuff too, if you want to see posts and all the things that I like and retweet on there. And that's hyperfixpod on Twitter and Tumblr um, and Instagram, but the Instagram died. So don't go there. Um, I'm sorry. It's okay. I don't like Instagram. Marketing killed it for me. Let's see. This podcast and Max's podcast are both powered by the Moonshot Network. So thank you. And thank you for letting me have a season two. Let's see. Letting you. I think (laughs) letting you is kind of a funny... Well, like, how would we stop you? I just figured if, like, actually your podcast is just not up to code, sorry, and just get ejected from the moon. Not up to code. <laughs> OSHA came down on us and said, people are going to get hurt if you keep doing this podcast. You can find- Nobody here is forklift certified. <laughs> That's a problem. You can find, you can find the Moonshot Network at moonshot pods on twitter and then moonshot network on twitch or vice versa i know it's different i'm thinking about doing some streaming on that on that twitch network by the way do it i don't know what i'm going to stream but i'm thinking about it i've been trying to figure out when to get my uh my group hyperfixation live stream about people explaining to me uh what's it called what's that thing oh no homestuck homestuck was i right yes <laughs> <laughs> I got to get that figured out. I got to get the logistics planned. But um, yes. Well, like I said, I'm the guy who keeps telling people that Homestuck's not that big a deal. It's just a web comic. I mean, yeah, it's just a webtoon. Webcomic. It's just a fucking web comic. <laughs> like, uh, sure, okay, yeah, it's eight thousand pages long. Okay, yeah, well. But <laughs> so maybe it shouldn't be. But just have you one. considered just getting really obsessed with it? Have you considered getting in a bathtub full of Sharpie ink? Have you? <laughs> Oh my god. The, the the blessings of being on the internet and in like the so- social circles surrounding or the fandoms surrounding Homestuck is that I get a little bit of knowledge about it, but I know nothing about the plot. There um there are several Homestuck music tracks that make me think of uh Discworld. I'll post a couple of them in the uh, in the Discord. Please do. Um who else do I got to thank? My so the intro and outro music, they that's thanks to Offuscate. That is O-F-U-S-K-A-T-E. Uh, they make amazing podcast intro music. It's such good music. It's random. Like, I, I literally was like, hey, you go to school for music. Do you think you can help me out, friend? And they were like, yeah, here's five different sounds. And they all ruled. And I was like, what? Why don't you do this for friends. a living? <laughs> um, so, yeah, if you need podcast music, uh, reach out to them on Instagram, Twitter, or SoundCloud. And I think that's all the plugs I got to do. Great. That's it. We did it. Huzzah. Is there, is there like a fun, like, out? does Sir Terry Pratchett do any, like, fun things at the ends of his books? That I- um, He does, but, like, it's it's fun within the context of the book. Like, every ending of Discworld is like a, a really, it's like getting wrapped up in a nice warm blanket that says, this book is over, but, but things keep happening to these people that are good in a way that you would like if you read about it. Which is, I don't know, like, not a lot of authors are are good at that, but Terry's great at it. Okay, so 
just know, listeners, that me and Max will separately be wrapped up in our own little warm blankets and continue living our lives after this episode. Have like a little cup of hot chocolate and everything will be good. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you. Have a good day. Be safe. Don't die. Go bye. Get out of here, Craig. Be doop. Be doop. Isn't that the thing? Aren't we supposed to say badoop? I totally forgot about saying badoop, but my thing's still going. So badoop. Badoop. My name's Max Newland. My friends and I love anime, but you don't have to take my word for it. Hello, my name is Max Kostrak, and I have a confession today. I do love anime. Hey there, my name is Stevie Matos, and I love anime like I love yogurt parfaits. I watch it, I engage with it, and I think about it a lot. Give me a good bed of mechs, sprinkled with some harem anime, a slice of life, and some little dabs of a sports anime. Let's go. Mm. Now doesn't that sound delicious? Join us every Monday at the After School Anime Club, a podcast where we play fun games and talk through the anime classics of the 90s and 2000s. That's the After School Anime Club, available now on your podcatcher of choice.